So we are talking about the God of signs and wonders. And we are talking about the, the signs described in the book of John. And it says very clearly, even in John in his own words, in John chapter 20, he said that he picked those signs as a, a thing to show us who God really is. Jesus did many more signs, but John picked out these eight miracles and he calls them a sign. And if we go into the definition of a sign, just to recap a little bit, a sign is a miracle that conveys more information. So what John did is he describes the miracle that Jesus did. But he says it's not only a miracle which is amazing, but it, that miracle carries more information that we can learn something more about God, learn more about who Jesus is, how God wants to be involved in our life. A sign is also a miracle that might even convey an instruction that shows us how we can place ourselves, position ourselves in a place that we might and hopefully receive a miracle from God. That is what John is doing. So today we're going to talk about the second sign that John is talking about, and that is healing of the royal official son in Capernaum. And that is found in John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54. Okay, it's only eight verses, so I think today I'm going to read the portion of Scripture to you, okay? It's not going to be up there because we're having problems, but you can follow along on your own devices or on the Bible. If not, just listen. It is a very short Scripture. Okay, John chapter 4, verse 46 through 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there he was, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come to heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, Come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Amen. Okay, so this is the, the second sign that John is talking about in his gospel. And I believe there's a few things that we can pick out that give us a little bit more information. Now we know the miracle that happened. The man comes 
says, my son is sick, come to my house. God says, go, your son will live. He goes back, he finds out his son lived. That's the miracle. But what are the information that that miracle tells us about God? I believe the first thing is, is that God responds to honor. God responds to honor. And that is what we read right there in verse 44, where Jesus said, he himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, you were supposed to see a map of Israel at the time of Jesus. So just imagine with me. Up on top is Galilee. There's Cana, there's Nazareth, all the other towns. But for now, only those two towns really matter. Then underneath is Samaria, where there's Syria, all the other towns that we also read in the book of John. And underneath that is Judea, where there is Jerusalem, Jericho, and all the other towns. So what happened now is, Jesus was in Cana, performed the miracle of water, turning water into wine. On the way down, he stopped in his hometown, Nazareth. Remember, Jesus grew up in Nazareth, right? But then something happened. And that is what Jesus is talking about here, that John mentioned that he himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So what happened is he went back to Nazareth, started to preach, but people looked at him and said, isn't he the son of the carpenter? Isn't he the one that grew up with us? How can he do any signs and miracles? And even though they saw Jesus lay their hands on a few sick people and they recovered, they still didn't believe. And that is found in Mark chapter 6. That is exactly what happened at that time. And then Jesus even said, there is no honor for a prophet in his hometown. And it says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then he goes down to Jerusalem, does ministry there. Then on the way up back to Cana, to Galilee, because he wanted to go back up again, he passes through Samaria. And there... He meets with the woman at the well. And many people got saved right there. Then he continues going up. He is passing by Nazareth on the way to Cana, but he never stopped. He passes by the place that he grew up, and he went straight to Cana. Why? Because there was no honor in Nazareth. And I believe there is not a mistake that John almost does like a contrast here in verse 44 and 45. Jesus said, there is no honor for a prophet in his own country. And right the next verse it says, but when he arrived in Galilee, they welcomed him. So he said one place had no honor for him, but the other place welcomed him. Now what is honor? If you look into the dictionary, Honor is having high respect for someone or holding someone in great esteem. So Jesus himself said, the people in Nazareth, they don't hold me at a high esteem. They don't respect me. There is no honor in Nazareth. But when I come to Cana, to Galilee, they welcome me. So it's a contrast. One place rejected Jesus, the other place welcomed him. 
Because one place rejected Jesus, Jesus healed a few of their sick people, but then no more. In the Bible even says, Mark 6, that he could do no miracles except a few where he laid hands on the sick and healed them. But then he went up, he, won, he goes up to Cana and the Galileans welcome him. So that is where we can draw the conclusion that God is drawn to honor. God responds to honor. That's why he went back to Cana, not even visiting Nazareth anymore. He said, there is no point for me going to Nazareth anymore. They have no honor for me, so I go straight to Cana. And many mighty miracles happen right there because one rejected Jesus, the other welcomed him. Now, I believe that we can learn from this that we have to build an atmosphere that honors God. Come on. We have to build and create an atmosphere that honors God. Now, again, clarification. I don't believe that God is in heaven looking down. Oh, Christ Church, not enough honor yet. I'm not going to come yet. Oh, over here, another church, mm, also no honor. I'm not going to come here. Oh, this church, oh, this one has honor. Now Christ Church has enough honor. So I will come with my presence. I don't believe God is like that. But I believe if we create an atmosphere of honor, it captures the attention of God that he cannot even help himself but come down with his presence because he feels welcome, because it is an atmosphere that reflects his godliness. It's an atmosphere that reflects who he really is, that we as a church have an atmosphere where he can see himself, his characteristics in the church, and that is a place where he wants to come where he wants to do mighty signs and miracles. So what if we create a place where we worship God so passionately, where we create a place where we love each other so freely, where we overlook each other's fault so compassionately, where we serve wholeheartedly, and where we honor God's presence so deeply. I believe that is a place where God cannot stay away. That he says, I want to come. This is a place where I want to move. There is no power that can keep me away from coming with my presence into their service. And I believe that is the key that we can see a move of God in our church. By creating an atmosphere where God feels welcome. I remember growing up in Germany and I was... Story time with Pastor Stefan again. Growing up in Germany, I would go to my grandma's house because my grandma had a subscription to a newspaper. Back in the day, it was paper, newspaper. No gadgets, no iPad, no e-subscription or what. It was the paper newspaper. Huh? That's why newspaper. So we would go, one of us, we were three boys, one of us boys, we would have to go to my grandma's house who was just living right next door to my parents, pick up the newspaper, go to the local farmer, pick up the fresh milk straight from the cow, and bring it home, give the newspaper to my dad, and the milk to my mom. That was the, that was the thing that we had to do every day. So we would go to my grandma's house. I remember I would go to my grandma's house. I would knock the door, 
And very often she would not answer. But here's the thing. My grandma would not go anywhere because she was practically blind. She couldn't see anything, so she was always home. I'm saying she was always home. So I knew, knocking at the door, no answer. I still knew she is inside. Maybe she's in the toilet. Maybe she's taking a nap. Whatever it is, I know my grandma's inside. So what would I do? I would just walk in and make myself comfortable in the kitchen. Sit down, wait for my grandma. If it would take too long, I would go to the fridge, open the fridge, get a drink, sit down, drink my drink, and would wait for my grandma to come out of the bathroom. Now, when my grandma would come out of the bathroom, as soon as I heard the door and the flush, whoosh, I would right away announce myself, Grandma, I'm here. It's me. Because I don't want her to walk into the kitchen, cannot see, half blind, then get a shock of her life, have a heart attack, and then it's my fault that she died. So I would announce my present to my grandma. Ma grandma, I'm here. But here's the thing. I was so comfortable because I felt at home. So I walked straight in, comfortable enough to even go to the fridge. Now, if you would ask me to come to your house, and I would come to your house nicely, and I'm very thirsty, what would I do? I would sit down, and I wait for you to offer me a drink. And I would hope that you would offer me a drink. Pastor, you want some water? Oh, sounds good. Or you want some Coke? Oh, Coke is even better. Or you want some beer? Ah, now we are talking. <laughs> I would wait for you to offer me a drink. That is common courtesy, right? I would not dare to go to your fridge and say, hey, auntie, what do you have in your fridge, huh? And I look up and down, move here aside, move aside. Do we have anything to drink? And I make myself at home to that extent. Why? Because I am a guest in your house. So common courtesy is I wait for you to offer me something and I accept. Now apply that to this scenario. We have to create an atmosphere where God feels welcome. If God comes, and he will come, if we lift up his name, he will come. But what if he finds an atmosphere that is not very welcoming in that sense? He is a guest in our service, but he waits for us to offer him something. He will wait for us to invite him to really move. But he is standing back even though his presence is here. But if he finds an atmosphere where he feels welcome, an atmosphere that is welcoming him, that is honoring him, he will make himself at home and he will start moving in a powerful way. So if we want to see God move in our life, in our church more, we have to create an atmosphere that reflects the character of God. And then he will really come down. Amen? So it is up to us to create an atmosphere where we honor God. That honor will draw God's presence. He will feel welcome and he can move in our life and in the church's life more than ever before. The second thing that we can do is, or that God does, is that God gives a word and a promise. So what happened now, the man comes to Jesus, begs him, Jesus, my son is sick, can you come to my house and pray for him or lay hands, whatever. It doesn't say exactly what he asked, but he said, come to my house. And he begged Jesus. And then this is what Jesus replies. John 4 verse 15, Jesus replied, 
go, your son will live. Now, why is this important? Remember that this is a royal official. He is royalty. He is an official that man, that means he is a man of stature. He is a man that has a place in society that demands respect. He is a man, when he enters into a room, he is used to people coming and, and welcoming him and doing whatever he wants to do because he is a royal official. So he is a man that demands obedience. He is a man who is used to other people doing whatever he requests. But now he comes to Jesus and good on him that he's humble enough to come to Jesus. He said, Jesus, can you come to my house? The Bible even says that he was begging Jesus. So good on him that he was humble enough to come to Jesus. But then when he said, come to my house, what does Jesus do? He says, not like this. You go back, but your son will live. So God gives him a word. And not just a word, God gives him a command. He says, go. But then he comes with a promise, your son will live. So he tells him, not the way that you want me to do the miracle, but I will do it a different way. My way is different than what you requested. Remember, the man was used to people doing what he asked them to do. But Jesus says, I will do but I will do it my way. So you go back, but your son will live. So God gave him a command, a word, but he also gave him a promise. So he did it his own way. Now how often do we come to God knowing exactly how we want God to answer our prayer? God bless my husband. He's crazy. God, change my wife. She is driving me crazy. See, I didn't say wife is crazy, huh? I learned over the years. Change my wife. She's driving me crazy. God, change my teenager. She is going crazy. God, change Malaysian traffic. It's crazy out there. God, change my boss. He's evil incarnate. God changed my situation. It is terrible. It is unbearable. But what if God says, okay, I want to move, but I do it my way. So when you pray, God changed my husband. He's crazy. He says, okay, fair enough. Maybe that's true. But let me work in your life. God changed my wife. She's driving me crazy. Okay, but let me teach you how to love properly. God changed my teenager. She's going crazy. Well, let me show you how to be compassionate. God changed Malaysian traffic. It's crazy out there. Okay, but let me teach you to be more patient. God changed my boss. It's evil incarnate. Well, let me teach you about humility. God, change my situation. It is unbearable. Let me give you peace in the midst of a terrible situation. 
What if God wants to move in our life, but he decides to do it in a different way? Are we still open for God to move? Or are we so, God, I want this to happen now, and I want you to do it right here, right now, in the way that I expect it to happen? What if God is moving in a different way? What if God says, okay, but I have a different plan. Let me work in you first. So God gives a word, but he gives a promise. See, the good thing is here is that when, when he prayed and God's, uh, Jesus said, go, your son will be healed, the healing happened immediately, but he didn't know about it. Only when he went back, the servant met him, I'm not sure, on the way back home, and then he said, you know what? The son is better again. He said, when did it happen? Yesterday at one o'clock. Or oh, that is exactly the time that Jesus said, your son will leave. He realized it. So he received the answer to his prayer, but he didn't even know until later. And that is, I believe, what God is often doing in our life. That he's doing something powerful and we don't even see the results right away. But God is moving nonetheless. But here's the thing, very often he moves differently than what we expect or we would like him to move. I remember after graduation from Bible school, I went back to Germany and I worked at an electronic company to earn money to pay back my tuition fees in America so that I could come to Malaysia and get married. So I was working at an electronic company and there was one lady, she was a mean lady. I mean, there were a lot of aunties working in the companies, and the aunties loved me. That time I was only 20 years old, they loved me, loved me like a son. They were, like, they were super nice to me. But this lady, a younger lady, she didn't like me. She was mean. Whenever something happened, she would try to blame me. Whenever something went wrong, I was the one to blame. And she would scold me. She was mean to me. And I had no idea when, okay, fair enough, I admit, sometimes it was my mistake, okay? But not all the time, but she would pick on me, and she was angry all the time. So one day, now we are like one or two months in already, and it was exhausting. It was tiring, always being the one being blamed for everything. So one of the days, I finished work, I checked out already with my time card, about to go home, and she was sitting on her table. Then I felt in my heart that God wants me to go over and talk to her. Now again, God didn't open up the heavens, angel choirs, singing songs, and God is telling me what I need to do. It's just a conviction in my heart, mm, I should go and talk to her. So I go up to her and I said, you know what, I'm a Christian. I even went to Bible school, I'm going to be a pastor. But when you talk so meanly to me and you blame me for everything, I had some thoughts in my mind that are not very Christ-like, and I'm sorry for that. I asked God to forgive me, so I'm saying sorry to you now. That's it. And I turned around, and I walked off. Never gave her the chance to respond, not even looking at her reaction, just said this, turned around, walked off, and went home. The next day, or the next few days, was super awkward. I mean, I can, you can imagine, come into into work, the lady doesn't want to look at me. I don't know how to respond to her, but I can tell you from that day onward, everything changed. She never blamed me. She never scolded me. 
Maybe I scared her, I don't know, I don't care. My life was much better after that. But something changed in her. Maybe she thought, this guy, this guy is crazy, huh? Maybe I should lay off, otherwise I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know. But my life was so much better afterwards. See, I would have never thought of doing that. I believe it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit that he led me to do that. Very different than I would usually respond. But that broke the whole thing, and now I had a much better life. See, God can do things, but very often he leads us in a different way than we expect at first. But we have to be open for the word of God to show us how we should react and respond in situations that we are facing in our life. Come on, do you believe that God is real? I hope so. You are here this morning. Do you believe that God wants to lead and guide you? I surely hope so. So we can ask God, show me what I am supposed to do in this situation. And I believe that God will lead you and he will guide you. Maybe not a voice from heaven, but maybe just a tuck in your heart of what to do. Maybe just a thought in your mind, or maybe I should do that. But it is very different than your usual thoughts. Maybe that is God speaking. Maybe that is him showing you how you should respond in that situation. So be open for God to speak, even if it is in a different way than you would expect him to. And I believe God will really move in our lives. Amen. Number three, very quickly, God blesses us for a purpose. God blesses us for a purpose. He is on the way home. The servant meets him halfway and says, your son is better already. When did this happen? Oh, yesterday at one o'clock. This is the response. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And here's the point. So he and his whole household believed. He and his whole household believed. So the boy was the initial one who received the miracle. The father came, pleaded his case. Jesus said, go back, your son will live. But Jesus is doing a mighty miracle in the boy's life. The boy is raised up. He is getting well. And by the way, when it, see, when it says here that your son is well, in the Greek it means he is up and about. Not just getting better, but still weak. He is already up. He is walking around. He is terrorizing the little puppy in the house. He is running around. He is better already. And then he realizes it happened exactly when Jesus said it would. And then he and the entire household believed. See, the boy received the miracle, but the entire household was blessed. God wants to bless so that you can become a blessing to the people around you. And that was the, the, the God's way from the beginning. Even Abram, right at the beginning, God said, Abram, I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Later on, he says, Abram, all the nations will be blessed because of you. So God blessed Abraham so that he would be a blessing to all of the nations. So I believe God's way is he wants to bless you. Yes, absolutely. But he wants that blessing to overflow into your family, 
into the situation that you're in, into wherever you are situated in your life, that your blessing will bless somebody else as well. God blesses with a purpose. He will bless you so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. Amen? So God has a plan and a purpose, and He wants to bless you. But be open to pay a blessing forward. I believe God wants to bless you so that we as a church can bless India. Your giving, like we said at the beginning, is not in vain. God is blessing you so that you can bless others. What you are sowing into the kingdom is going to the transformation of lives. What we have seen in those churches is amazing. So what we are doing, what we are sowing is bearing fruit. God is blessing us so that we can be a blessing to others. But it goes beyond the financial. God wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing in your family. God wants to give you peace so that you can be a strong pillar in your family. God wants to bless you in your working place so that you will become a testimony for His goodness. God wants to bless you with every good gift that He has for you so that you can make a difference in the place that you are in. God blesses for a purpose. Amen. Can the praise team come this morning? I will finish with this. When my brother turned 17, he went to my dad and said, Dad, I'm 17 already. Soon I can do my license. It's time that I learn how to drive. So now it's me and my two brothers, three boys. We are all one year apart. So my dad said, okay, to make it easier, I just take all three boys and I teach you how to drive. So my brother, who was 17, was blessed. But I also received the blessing. God wants to bless, but that blessing will overflow. Amen? It's not for us to hold back and to enjoy life a bit more, to get a bigger house, a nicer car. All that is not bad. I'm not saying that. But if God blesses us, it is so that we can release to the people around us. Amen? Amen? Let us rise to our feet this morning.